you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, my name is Ron Friends, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hi, and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. I'm your Thor host, Craig Elliott. And we're here today to talk about another Mighty Thor epic collection. This one is volume 17, Immortal Flesh. This is our second Thor episode. Correct, yeah. And even though it's volume 17, episode 17, um, we're doing these out of order just like the epic collections do. Uh, But this one follows our previous episode, a Thor episode, which was um, War of the Pantheons, the beginning of Tom DeFalco and Ron Frenz's run. So this is the continuation. Yeah, which I think is great. Uh, I just think we should start with a, a warning that the writers themselves gave in the Thor books, which is that uh, this podcast, uh, which follows, contains thrills and chills beyond measure and are not or is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> yes, very true. Very true. Wise words. Thanks, Tom, for that. Uh, we have a couple of interviews that I will intersperse throughout this episode. Uh, we, I've talked to... Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends about this era of Thor and I've already posted those episodes so you can go into the website and search for those if you want to hear the whole thing Um, but I also got the opportunity to talk to Ralph Macchio about editing this book so I will uh, insert a few of those clips in here as well and um, and the whole interview sometime in the next few weeks to come so anyway Thor this is 1989-1990 a great era of Marvel in my opinion what does this volume cover, Craig? This was a really interesting uh, volume. It goes from 89 to 90, so it covers the beginning of my love of comics, which was a great time. And this particular volume introduces uh, a bunch of really important characters, or not necessarily, well, important might be a big step overstatement, but a lot of characters who've, who've had a, lot, a long, uh, successful time in the Marvel pantheon both in the Thor books and in the greater Marvel Universe, which I think was also exciting. So this particular volume has a, a lasting effect on the Marvel Universe as a whole. And I know that you were a big fan of Thunderstrike. Yeah, and the New Warriors, and they both... Well, Thunderstrike made his debut in the previous volume, or Eric Masterson... But this is where it kind of really but, steps yeah, up here. This is where it, it, it develops. There's two issues in the previous... Before this that showed up in the, in the War of the Pantheon. Uh, where you have Eric Masterson briefly, but this is the one where Eric Masterson's role is really fleshed out and developed. And, and I mean, he becomes, well, for a time, he becomes Thor's human identity. Uh, and then eventually, as we know, or if, if you don't know, spoiler alert, but for most readers, I imagine you know that he becomes Thunderstrike. And that the, the stages for that is all established here. So although mm-hmm. he doesn't become Thunderstrike here, you're really, this is the origin of Thunderstrike, this yeah. this series. Well, first he becomes the human identity of Thor in this book. But in the next volume, he becomes Thor, just outright yes. Thor. Yeah. And then he becomes Thunderstrike. So there's, yeah, there's uh, it just kind of keeps on developing and developing, uh, which is one of the great things about this run is there's, a, there's an overall story that just keeps on kind of getting bigger and bigger. 
we introduce this character who's seemingly a side character who ultimately becomes the main focus of of the book. So the, it's kind of cool. The other thing you have happening in this volume, if you want, Mrs. Thun- the Thunderstrike comic was 25 issues that were middlingly successful, although I personally thought they were great. Um, but his main foil or main villain the whole time was Blood Axe. And yep. Blood Axe is also, the beginnings of Blood Axe is also in this this room. Right. And, and that, it's something you can miss. Yeah, so. uh, I don't know if we, do we want to spoil that? That's kind of a big reveal later on down the road, right? Well, then yeah, I guess I should have had a spoiler alert. <laughs> Too bad. But, uh, <laughs> well, you never said who the, who we're talking about here so um, we'll leave it there we'll leave it there <laughs> you can you can reread the book now and try and find that easter yeah egg. exactly unless you already know the answer but anyway this covers issues number 401 to 418 plus annual number 14 now what are the things that we need to know the the key information if you've never read any thor before what do you need to know before jumping into this book uh, well, this one is tricky because it also draws a lot of stuff from outside of Thor. Like, this book references mm-hmm. a lot of the Marvel Universe as a whole, and that influences things. But um, from just a Thor standpoint, um, you would need to know that that Asgard, which you've probably, if you're not a reader, have encountered in the movies probably at this point, um, is uh, is untethered, as they say. So it's it's adrift in space, which mirrors, I think, what happens in the movies too. But Thor is on Earth... Um, he has a different identity called Sigurd. Odin is weakened, wants Thor to come back and protect Asgard. What else will we need to cover what's happened previously? Thor, Thor has returned to Earth. Like he's, he's spent a good deal of time bouncing around on Asgard, which I know you said isn't your favorite place for Thor to be yeah. hanging out either. So Thor has returned to Earth and is now trying to reestablish his presence on Earth and rejoin the yeah. Avengers. And, and so you're sort of picking up Thor's, Thor's return to, to, to Midgard? And moving him back to being an earthly hero instead of being a um, an epic sort of saga type book. Yeah, or like a cosmic book, basically. Well, this is still... I mean, he goes off and... This uh, is still that's fairly true, cosmic. This yep. one has a lot of cosmic yep. pieces to it. That's very true. At one point, he pulls out his armor, which he got in the the Walt Simonson run and quickly got rid of at the beginning of the last the previous volume. Yep. But it makes a return here. He wore that because his bones were really brittle at a time. He had a curse on him, and he had to wear that for protection. But now he just wears it when he needs needs to. Yep. Uh, he needs to fight big battles or something. Um, the Evolutionary War was recently. It was one of the annual crossovers. It happened yeah, well, through all the, one of the this annuals. This has a bunch of crossovers. It's got the Evolutionary War. Yep. It's got... The, this book ties in to Acts of Vengeance, which was right. a big um Big Marvel crossover. Event. Uh, it also ties into... Secret Wars. Um, yeah, Secret Wars and to um, At- Serpent Crown. Atlantis. Yeah, the Serpent story. Crown and Atlantis Attacks. Yeah. yeah, there's a ton of crossovers here, which you'd think would make for a little bit of a disjointed kind of reading experience, but uh, for the most part, it's actually okay. Yeah. There are a few instances where I'm like, I don't really know what's going on, especially in those annuals. The I found the annual was the the most discordant of the of the books yep. uh, in this it didn't it it stood out from everything else and that it didn't it didn't really continue the flow of the stories that right. we've been experiencing exactly well just before we jump into the issues i want to read a couple of things here uh we have a comment from josh who left a comment on Facebook saying that this truly epic yet yet underrated DeFalco Friends Thor run continues. 
these two creators are firing on all cylinders as Annihilus, Hercules, Doctor Doom, and Ulick all join the party. We see Wondagore again, and a team of Quicksand and Mongoose, an homage to Mr. Hyde and Cobra, a team from the Silver Age, I'm sure. Uh, and DeFalco continues to bring Eric Masterson into the fold, quite literally. And Fr Friends' visuals offer eye-popping dynamics that this book cut its teeth on. Friends carrying the torch of the Kirby Buscema legacy. We also get the intro to the New Warriors and further tales of Asgard. We're introduced to the Black Galaxy in this volume. The Black Galaxy saga will be in the next one, so hopefully Thor Epic Volume 18 will be announced sooner than later. It's true, that one hasn't been announced as of this recording. Well, we'll hold our breath. Um, but yeah, he makes all good points. There's a ton of characters. What's, what's interesting is that there's a lot of Fantastic Four in this run, because we see Doctor Doom in a couple issues, um, She-Hulk, who's on the Fantastic Four around this time, uh, like a member, and um, an Annihilus because the Asgard drifts into the negative zone. We even have a Fantastic Four cameo, and it sort of foreshadows what Tom DeFalco would be doing after he finishes with Thor because he moves on to Fantastic Four. It's true. Uh, what, I, what I found interesting or I enjoyed about this book but also really drove home for me is how... Um, despite all of the incredible writers and great stories, Thor's rogues gallery drops uh, off fast. Yes. And this book to me really highlighted that because I loved, like I loved Thor fighting Juggernaut. I loved Thor taking on the high evolutionary. I thought Annihilus was a really great story and him storming Asgard. But those aren't Thor villains. No. And it's interesting because I think as a su as supporting casts go, Thor's is one of the best. Um, yeah. They said players drop. He, he said uh, um, players drop in and drop out, and and he's got all of those characters that are are fairly well developed on Asgard. He's got buddies like Better Ray Bill that pops up in one of the backstories in here. He's had Eric Masterson. He's got Jerry, uh, the the contractor. Yep. He's had all sorts of characters he's picked up over the years and uh, have come and gone out of the Thor books. And so this really rich supporting cast of characters for Thor, and yet. His villains drop off. It's sort of Loki, Curse, um, the Destroyer, and Enchantress. You, yeah, Enchantress. But and then yeah, you... that's about it. Yeah, and Cobra and Doctor or Mister Hyde, as they as as Josh mentioned as yeah. well in the early days. But in the, in the early days, but beyond that, I mean, yeah. Defalco went out and just scoured the Marvel universe for other great villains he could apply to Thor. Yep, and he and sure it's interesting because this book, even this series, introduces a Thor villain that never comes back. The Dark Dweller, who was a two two issue stint in this volume yeah and seems like a formidable foe and declares he will return he has never returned to the marvel <laughs> universe yeah. he is he's one of those characters where marvel didn't bother even putting him in a background yeah. somewhere to extend their trademark oh, like he has vanished so here's a clip of ralph macchio talking about uh, thor's rogues gallery and then there were the more earthbound villains that that came along too that i thought were fun because you know the original thor such as mongoose and quicksand, you know, that was also great because if you remember the original Lee Kirby run, you know, they interspersed the sort of trial of the God stuff with the things that would occur with Mr. Hyde or with some of the other or the radioactive man or, you know, characters along those lines who were much more earthbound as villains. And so Tom and Ron could do both the earthbound villains and the cosmic stuff, too, you know, reflecting both. So uh, we, we just had everything going with that run. It was great. Um, just before we carry on, I put out a Twitter poll, and my question was, do you miss Eric Masterson? And my options were yes as Thor, yes as Thunderstrike, 
no, I prefer the real Thor, or no, he was the worst. And um, no one thought he was the worst. And everybody's really smart. Congratulations. Yep. Um, some people said yes as Thor, and some people said no, I prefer the real Thor, but 50% of the votes went to yes as Thunderstrike. Yeah, well, I mean, if you are, and again, I'll say spoiler alert now, if you have been reading Marvel Comics over the last uh, 30 years or 28 years, yeah. uh, then you know that the most recent incarnation of Thunderstrike from 2010 was actually Kevin Masterson, yep. Eric's son, which uh, as, a, as a Thunderstrike fan, I was I found disappointing uh, in some ways. It's nice to see the evolution of a character like Kevin, yep. who starts as a wide-eyed kid in this book, um, but it was still... Um, I also miss Thunderstrike, the yeah, actual, right. the actual Thunderstrike. Okay, let's dive right into our story here. Our first issue is number four hundred one, and it's called the Wager. This was a fill-in issue. I okay, so this issue I read it first was eh. I mean, it, it's a fill-in issue. Like, yeah. it's definitely a fill-in issue. Right. Um, and we've seen these before in other volumes, and they're sometimes good, they're sometimes bad. But this one then caught my attention because I had never heard of the artist. So, oh, yeah. Rich Yanizeski. Yeah. Okay. You're a big fan of Rich? He's okay. So I thought it was an interesting style. But it was interesting. So I went and looked him up. He yeah. he did a total of five issues ever for Marvel. Okay. Um, this was his first one. It was a, a tryout sort of shot for him and he didn't come back for two years and then they gave him gave him bit pieces and some annuals okay later um from what i can tell um he he came in with this like massive influx of new talent to marvel and, and he himself uh commented on a forum once um on, on an online forum that he was bummed that he got dragged into marvel he came into marvel got his shot at marvel at the same time as people like Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld and Mark Silvestri and oh, Mark McFarlane and uh, <laughs> Mark Bagley, yeah. Dale Keon, uh, Alan Davis. This is the group of people that he started into Marvel with and... Uh, he just couldn't he, keep up? He didn't... He just didn't... Well, he said he just didn't have their style. No. Um, but I think that's, that's true because I actually thought it was it was an effective storytelling. Um, like, he, he told the story well. I thought the, yep. the art... It fit wasn't in bad. with the it rest fit. of the, the, yeah. the book here. Yeah. I enjoyed it. It wasn't a negative for me, so I thought that was too bad. I thought that was an interesting comment from from the artist that he he came in, and I thought that would have been really rough to yeah to yeah. get your starting point. Oh, yeah, here, come on in and with see this. see everybody going in this direction, and you're yeah. going in this other direction. And um, it, it's, it's... What else has he done since then? He, you know? he's, um, he's done a bit of work in animation. He's, but he's not he in comics, like a, really. I think he had a couple indie books, but... Yeah, I don't think it ever worked out for him, which is too bad. Yeah, I was debating whether to try and reach out to him to talk about his one issue, but um, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and if he hears this, he's welcome to contact us. I'd love to. We can go back and and talk to him about it. Um, but it was just an interesting, interesting side piece that here's this artist. So when you're reading it, you're yeah. seeing what is basically someone's audition, or if you think about like pro athletes, it's their one big call up moment. So, yeah. Um, it changed the way I read that book when I realized that this was This was his big moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he's paired with Randall Friends as the writer, who is Ron Friends' brother, um, who also didn't really do a whole lot in the Marvel Universe. He did some fill-in issues here and there, I think. I don't think that he had his own regular title at any point, um, but he quickly left comics and went into uh, ministry work and became like a, a father in priesthood or something like that. That's his brother. They kept it in the family there. And 
You know, it's a, it's a fairly entertaining story. It takes place a thousand years ago. Thor is just a little bit younger than he is now, which tells you the lifespan of Asgardians. And uh, he gets suckered into a wager with Loki that he could last on Earth, one Earth year, which is like a day Asgardian time yep. or something like that, without using his powers. And he takes on the challenge and um, gets sucked into... I don't know, some sort of medieval wars or something like that. It's a, well, it's a quest. The Vikings are off to discover the new world, and he goes with them. Oh, yes. And, and so off they, they go. And it's interesting because he, not only does he take a role, like he's surviving on, on Midgard or on Earth without his powers, he doesn't assume a leadership role. Like he's happy to, he, serve, yeah. he, he assumes a servient role on a ship as just a crewman on this quest, which was also interesting. Yeah. I think that's part of the... The, the challenge of leading an ordinary life. Not everybody's a leader on Earth. Most of the people are followers yeah. or servants of some sort. In this one, he creates his Sigurd personality, uh, his identity. Um, and uh, and he, he makes a new friend, Baldric. Baldric only lasts this one issue, which is too bad. I would have liked to see you know further adventures of Thor and Baldric because I thought they kind of made a cool little pair. Maybe you'll have to pitch that to Marvel. You can do a bunch of backup stories. <laughs> okay. What happens during that one year, right? <laughs> the year of Baldrick. Yes. But otherwise, you know, it's a, it was an okay way to start the, the volume. Uh, most of these epic collections start with fill-ins because there's no other real great place to make the I like that the about it, though, because these are, these are books we wouldn't see reprinted otherwise. Oh, yeah. No, not, not at all. We would never see this one. Yeah, on the other side of that, I imagine that's a book I can go find. In the twenty-five cent bin yeah, somewhere, but it's still neat to see them making their way into these collections. Yes, so it's true. Uh, next story is where we really get up and running because we're back on Earth finally. It's the big tie-in to, or wrapping up story. I don't really have to put, it, but it's it's picking up the High Evolutionary arc. Although there's no High Evolutionary to begin with. Four hundred two has Thor arriving back on Earth, reestablishing his Sigurd identity, reconnecting with some of his old friends like Jerry Sapristi. Yep. Um, it brings Eric Masterson back in. It's sort of the true launching point of Eric Masterson um, into the Thor comics. And so um, Thor is back on Earth. And, and as we had that reference earlier, he has his run-in with Mongoose and um, Quicksand. Yep. Which is interesting. I think uh, Mongoose has to be one of my least favorite villains, but um, <laughs> that's fine. So that's that's the beginning of this. So you have this, this issue here, 402. I thought it was too bad Quicksand isn't really... She's not really used, and she disappears. Like she drops off quickly from the story arc, yeah, and is forgotten. So, I think every creator comes into a book and tries to create a bunch of their own villains, hoping that some of them will click. And in some cases they do, and in some cases they don't. Quicksand is definitely one of those that did not click. Yeah, well, but I mean, they didn't even finish her arc in this story. Like she's because you hear Mongo say, "Oh, wait till we she sees what we do with her" or something like that. Quite ominous, and nothing happens to Quicksand. She just kind of leaves. Yeah, she didn't get what she wanted out of her partnership. She kind of fought Thor to a standstill, not really. And then I haven't really read the the next few volumes of of the Tom DeFalco run, Friends run yet. So maybe she does come back. I don't know. Yeah, it just was interesting that she. She dropped out of that story arc that she had played yeah. like a key role in the beginning, and then and things go in a very different direction. Yeah, and they leave her behind. So. Yeah, it's true. In the previous volume, there was a huge battle on Asgard with Seth, and one of the casualties is Lorelai, 
Enchantress. Uh, no, is this Enchantress's sister? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, she was knocked unconscious in battle and uh, Enchantress is is in this issue kind of by her bedside pleading for her life with, with the Asgardian gods. And what's interesting here, we get a good character moment for her here. She has the opportunity to save Lorelei by trading her own soul uh, with Hela yes. for, for Lorelei's soul so that Enchantress will be the one taken down uh, to to hell instead of uh, Lorelai, and but she won't do it. She doesn't want to give up her own life. I was surprised at that uh, at that moment. Kind of surprised and not surprised at the same time. It seems apt that she wouldn't do it. Yeah, but it did, there wasn't even a struggle. It, she wasn't like, should I do it? Should I? Shouldn't I? She was just flat out, no, I, I can't do that. Yeah, no, yeah. it's true. But uh, I think that just helps reaffirm that. I wouldn't even call her a villain right? in the sense of, like, I want to dominate the world, or even in Loki's, like, I want to ruin Thor's life forever and cause mischief. Yeah. Um, it just cements, gives you an understanding of of the Enchantress's mindset. It, it is, is Enchantress first, but not in, like, Enchantress gains, more of, like, a self-preservation piece, which you see continues when she brings uh, uh, the Executioner's Axe to, to Earth. Right. And I'm not sure that I think that's that's almost relatable. I think there's a lot of people who, as much as we'd like to, to think, that think you'd we'd be selfless life, when you yeah. actually put in that position, you don't know for sure that you're. Well, you, you begin, you get scared, so, and, and yeah. yeah, totally, so. yeah, it's very true. Um, this issue also includes the very first Tales of Asgard backup feature, and Ron friends just needed um, a little bit of a break. Basically, they need to relieve his uh, his workload just a little bit. So, because he also does like half the covers for Marvel Comics at this time, as well as yeah, his work he, here. He's a busy guy. He's a busy guy. So, well, to they, be fair, that that list of artists I just read you who are starting up are not known for their speed even today. Right. So he so they cut down the number of pages for the main story and then put in some backup features called Tales of Asgard just to offset the the page count. And uh, this one features the golden hair of Glimda. And I don't think we really need to touch on many of these tales of Asgard. So there's a few that are kind of cool and important. The only thing I loved about those, um, I agree with you, they're not... None of them were overly influential on the the greater story of Thor yeah. or, or the, the oeuvre of Thor, if you want. But I like the fact that we got to see some other artists yeah. on it. Like, I like that we got Magnola. I like that oh, yeah. we got Trimp. I like... I love Ron Lim's work, and we saw Ron Lim on a Better Ray Bill story. I liked that part of it, that some other artists um, popped up doing yep. these little mini Thor stories. Um, the only one I will say, uh, well, actually, I'll bring it up when we get to it, is is, is the one with uh, the Uru monster. Yes. Yeah, so. yeah, we'll probably talk about that one for sure. Um, these tales of Asgard are a throwback to the old Lee Kirby days because they, they used to have those backup features in the 60s as well. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to see them return in the 80s. Too bad they're not around now. Okay, we can keep on going to issue number 403. This one's called When the Executioner Calls. And in this one, Enchantress, you mentioned this earlier, Enchantress um, comes down to Midgard and gives the power of the Executioner to a human criminal, hoping that uh, the human criminal will kind of take out Thor. Well, it's not even that he will take out Thor. She wants him to take out Thor just to prove he's powerful enough to protect her from Hela. Right. Which is an interesting position because she'd have a better chance just 
getting Thor to protect her from Hela, and, and yeah, but like Thor a... never like she's tried that in the past, and he had has, like he's not weak minded like uh, well, Scourge but, was. But I don't think it's a question of like the way the reason Thor would protect Hela isn't because he's enthralled to Hela, just because of just his nobility. Of, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but, but he she always surrounded that. herself with. Um, with a bodyguard yes it was scourge but scourge is is dead at this point mm-hmm. and uh and so she yeah she wants to find another person basically I, scourge now i didn't know that she could give um executioner's powers to whoever whoever she wanted to well, i think that they're the falco is just playing with it. so she went and retrieved the axe it was under the guard of like um okay heimdall was guarding um, scourge's axe right after scourge had fallen and she goes and, and steals the axe from Heimdall. And so I it's think the that axe that, like, the like Falco Thor's is hammer. just playing off the idea that the weapons bestow the powers. Okay. So I think that is, it's not explicitly stated, um, but I don't think at any point in the Thor stories has it come up where, you know, Scourge's powers are tied to Scourge's axe. Um, but it's a fairly common theme. You've got like a half dozen different types of hammers floating around there with various versions of <laughs> Thor's powers. Right. So. True. Um, it's not unreasonable to assume that that Scourge's axe does the same thing. Um, there are three splash pages in this one issue, including a double page spread. Um, so there's not a whole lot of story. It's just mainly a big a big battle. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but it looks it sure looks cool. And man, Joe Sinnott's inks on this give it a really really classic look it's like it, it he adds so much kirby because of his long association with kirby to ron friends's look like the pair of them it's just so dynamic so I think bold it, it's perfect for for this book yes um, i was thinking it's interesting because they didn't list in it as the inker they yeah. listed him as the finisher which right. i think really speaks to them giving him credit for his contribution to the, the the book. Yeah, yeah. I think Ron Friends was on very rough breakdowns on this one. He basically just plotted out like he was. Um, he t- worked a lot with Tom on the story, and then would do the, his breakdowns, and then leave it up to Joe to you know completely fill in everything else. And so it's it's very much a Joe Sinnott Ron Friends uh, production. Yeah, yeah. It was like a co-production. Yeah, I think I think it's fantastic. Yeah, the the tales of Asgard in this one is called the Wolves of Ravenswood, and it's the first meeting between Sif and Thor. Yeah, and that was kind of cool. And such a small footnote that I would imagine probably the story's been retold differently in the future. I know there have been many other uh, like miniseries where Thor's a kid with Loki yeah, and that kind of stuff. there's lots of those that I haven't read. I, I wonder if Sif... I, I haven't read them either, so I, I wonder if Sif's origin story has changed since this story was published in the 80s. We're, before we're jumping into um, the Annihilus story, are we not? Yes. Yep. So the first thing I love about 404 is the cover. It is it is a perfect throwback to Fantastic Four number 12. Yes, it sure is. Which is just awesome here instead of like if you don't know fantasy four number 12 it's the famous one where they're the fantasy four heading into a cave to fight the hulk and it is the hulk hiding on one side of a cave with a little cave wall separating him from the ff and in, in place of the hulk you've got Annihilus, and in place of the ff you have thor and balder yep coming in to for the same battle so i thought that was a great 
throwback homage piece and just even looking at the cover had me excited to read the story. So, And great colors, too. Everything in kind of that bluey-green wash. It looks really cool. Yeah. Monochrome color. So in the previous issue, Thor was summoned back to Asgard. I was a little bit confused why Odin and the Vizier were, were so annoyed with Thor because I would think leaving a battle incomplete would be a bit dishonorable and they would have understood his desire to finish his battle before returning <laughs> to Asgard, which wasn't in immediate danger at the time other than Odin really needs a nap. Yeah. Um, but he comes back and Odin's peeved because Thor didn't come back immediately when told to. Um, and so that's how the story starts. And, and the key thing here is Odin is, he desperately needs his Odin sleep, yep. uh, which restores Odin's powers. But he doesn't feel like he can do that without leaving Asgard protected. And, and for that, he needs Thor. Which he doesn't need Thor because, you know, Baldur's done it in the past. Heimdall's done it in Although the past. Although Baldur's feeling pretty down about having True. He feels like he failed when he was just in charge of it in, yep. the, previous, in the previous run. Um, he doesn't need Thor. Asgard is filled with, with noble, powerful warriors. But, but Thor has the rightful place on the throne anyway, so yes. why not get him to do it? Anyway, so Thor is back on on Asgard. He's trying to make amends with his dad. And, and in the meantime, he's reconnecting with everybody. And some creature is lurking and yeah. killing Asgardians. And um, that's sort of where this issue picks up. And, and I loved it. It was such a great kind of classic horror. Something's lurking, lurking in the shadows and it, it snatches people away. Yes. Uh, it's ni- a nice buildup. And uh, like you see shadows flying overhead. And well, and the, yeah, the way they present Annihilus and, and the creepy cocoons that he's wrapping people in. And yeah. is, it, like it made me really think of aliens. Totally. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, it was a, it was a great piece there. It was neat because Annihilus at this point wasn't an overly developed character. He'd had a few moments in the Marvel Universe. Today he's had a huge, I mean, he had an entire like two-year story arc dedicated to his power. Right. But for the for 1989, Annihilus was a relatively underdeveloped character. Mm-hmm. So it was neat to see him show up. Um, and I think we kind of expected him to show up since Asgard was floating through the negative zone. And who else are you going to meet there but Annihilus and Blastar? Like those are the two guys yeah. that kind of hang out there all the time. So one of them is bound to show up. Um, I really like some of the stylistic, artistic choices in this book. Like, every time Annihilus attacks, the entire panel is in yellow. And it happens over and over again through here. And I thought that was cool. And I don't think that other colorists do that in in other Annihilus stories. So relating to this, here is a little clip of Ralph Macchio talking about the color in these Thor books. You know, another thing also that's very interesting about Ron, he was extremely concerned about the coloring on the book. Um, more so than any other penciler that I work with, Ron was extremely concerned about the coloring. Not that there was anything wrong with that, but it always stuck out to me because I would work you know, with, with dozens of pencilers and they all were interested in the coloring on the book. But Ron, that was a real sticking point with him that the coloring be exactly the way he wanted it to be on that book. And that was wow. fine because we had good colorists, but he really wanted to know what the coloring looked like. Yeah, no, I thought it was it was great to see Annihilus going toe-to-toe with, with the Asgardians. I also, I love the fact that the the reason that Volstagg can't come along is he's too big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah, I just think the usage of Volstagg they really played up the sort of humorous aspect of that character. There's the backup story in the same issue where he, they're all engaged in some sort of combat and Volstagg decides instead to just get drunk. Yep. And he ends up 
does he, is this the one where he ends up saving the day while he's drunk by falling on somebody, or is that a different issue? I think that was a different. I think that was the a next different one. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, this Tales of Asgard was not one of the better ones. It's called Ulog, the Grand Enchanter, and basically Odin sends him sends the crew to to go get this guy Ulog for yeah. no apparent reason. He, they don't know, so they just go and get him, and it's continued in the next issue. So the next issue is called Odin Must Die, and we continue on with our Annihilus battle. He is on the rampage and wants to uh, wants to suck all the life force from Odin. He, so that's kind of his end game. I like though that this issue also keeps building the the back the, or not the backstory, but the the serialized story of the mongoose. Mongoose plays a key role for at least half of this volume. Yeah, and um, this continues that as mongoose is attacking. Uh, Eric Masterson at the same time. So it's it's both stories at once, which I liked. Yeah, so there's a lot going on in this issue here, which uh, is already shortened in his page count because of the Tales of Asgard, but uh, they managed to not only have a very convincing and, and um, epic battle where Odin steps in in the last minute and saves the day, but uh, yeah, everything going on with Eric Masterson. The other key thing, interesting, well, interesting thing I found, um, Sif. So we had two issues ago. We have Sif's origin. Yep. Uh, which is fairly heroic, you know. Uh, at the time, she's just a, a girl watching sheep being attacked by wolves, and yet stands with Thor against these these wolves and bravely fights them. And now she's she's speaking to Odin. Um, she is actually the one that that helps Odin realize Thor belongs back on Earth. Right. Uh, Odin obviously has confidence in her. She's the she's the last one standing between Odin and Annihilus before Odin finds his second wind and. And takes him down, and mm-hmm. so it's it's an interesting piece. And I almost wonder if Defalco and friends had had bigger plans for Sif that they never saw through. Like they started to set her up yeah. here, and then she kind of just vanishes out of this the rest of this volume. Well, until the very so, end, yeah. in the last couple of tales of Asgard, she starts to have a she starts to come into play. And I don't know, like I said, we haven't read I haven't read more of this, but it looks like she's going to play a much bigger role to come with things that are shaping up toward the end of this volume. So, but we'll get to to that in a little bit here. This is the issue that has the Fantastic Four cameo. It's just really funny because the only way, since they're in the negative zone, the way for Thor to get back to Midgard is traveling through the Fantastic Four's portal that they have in their tower that yes. leads to the negative zone. So it's kind of like, you know, he comes this, up and knocks this, on the door. This made oh, me sad, Thor. though, because the Fantastic Four have such a diminished role in the current Marvel Universe. And yet here they are playing a role here. They're mentioned later on. Yeah, It reminded me, I mean... This is the era where they become part of the Avengers. Um, right. Thing has another cameo later. So that was the one the the one thing is you forget how big a role they played at one point in the Marvel Universe compared yeah. to, to now. But, well, they're um, they're coming back, thankfully. Yep. But yeah, this this issue is during I think is during Walt Simonson's run on Fantastic Four. Yes. Because uh, we have Miss um, Marvel as the thing or the she thing yep. in this cameo. So we, Eric and I talk a little bit about Walt Simonson's, well, a lot about Walt Simonson's run in the episode um, Into the Time Stream, so you can check out that episode. Tales of Asgard, and this one's called Let Lethal, or This Lethal Land. Oh, this is the issue where, where Volstagg falls on, some, yes. on somebody to capture. So. But uh, yeah, fairly inconsequential Tales of Asgard. And then we have the High Evolutionary, Return to Wondergore. Which is the one where we see Mongoose's machinations coming to fruition. Yep. I don't quite get why the Knights of Wondergore are taking orders from Mongoose. I get the feeling that uh, they they didn't really have any 
buddy to lead them, and he's the only guy that that had a plan. But he's not really one of the Knights of Wonder. That's the interesting thing. Is right. They let some random outsider show up, but it's still made for an exciting story. I enjoy Thor's conflict with the Knights of Wondergore. The It's almost like a misunderstanding in some ways, and yet not. I mean, Mongoose clearly has, has ulterior negative, you know, malicious intentions, but some of the Knights of Wondergore, I'm not sure that they have any animosity towards Thor. They just are following Mongoose's orders and are, I think are in some misguided attempt to find their master who, um, as we know from the this and the, pre, the the following issues, is lost in space. Yep. Well, and what's what's the one guy's, this guy's name? Who, Tagar? Uh, Tagar. Yeah. yeah well, the, I, the one who's, who's the evolved Tiger, yeah. Well, I think that Tegar has um, a plan to get samples of Thor's DNA, right? Because he wants to continue the High Evolutionary's work in evolving new man. Yes. And Mongoose is the one who he's formed a, a tie to who can get him, like who can draw Thor to Wondergar. I think I think there's, there's that sort of uh, connection there as to why they're working together. I don't know who contacted whom, but they're, they're working with each other. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. The Knights of Wondegore make reference to things like honor. You know, honor forbids us to continue fighting you after you saved our comrade, and yet are plotting betrayal the whole time. And then, <laughs> yeah, uh, they're like a really weird sense of honor because they mention it more than once. They're like, "Oh, I need honor forbids me to do this. Honor compels me to do this," and yet they're repeatedly plotting betrayal, which is super not honorable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. so. very true. Oh, one thing we didn't mention in the last issue is that Kevin and and Thor have a little moment where they tap hammers as a little sign of solidarity. But uh, what we don't know is that um, yeah, Thor gave Thor Kevin's gave him a little bit the, of enchanted which, powers. There you go. So that Kevin's first enchanted hammer is a plastic toy. Yeah, and he later has an actual mace when he becomes Thunderstrike. I don't imagine Tom DeFalco was picturing that in the year twenty ten. 20 years later, uh, Kevin would suddenly be Thunderstrike. Right. Okay, and this is the issue where we find out that the reason they're called there is to find a high evolutionary and Hercules who have merged with the galaxy and have be- they've become intertwined with the fabric of reality, I guess, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was a bit of a letdown because when you get to the end of the story arc, uh, which I believe is the next issue... They're just stuck in some boxes. Yeah, right. <laughs> so <laughs> weird. But this is a continuation from the um, Avengers Annual 17, where the Evolutionary War, that's when they show that they kind of transcend or mutate to beyond godhood, which means they become one with the universe. And Eric so, gets a cool suit, a suit of armor, or a, like a flight suit or a, an astronaut suit. They actually keep changing the name of that suit. Like at one point it's referred to as his environment suit, Another point, I think they called it his nuclear armor. Yeah. It has a bunch of different names throughout it's the... It's a multipurpose suit. Yeah. It's interesting. They also, they seem to really play up how big a deal it is that, that Hercules is coming back. He's been missing less than a year in the comics. Right. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. The Tales of Asgard is the last of the, the Ulog story, and I actually kind of liked this one because we find out kind of the point of the story. And Ulog is, is there to create new life. And I think it's implied that he creates the planet Earth, yeah, which is kind of cool. And Thor is is a witness to the creation of the planet Earth, which, if you were listening to to our episode about Doctor Strange, um, episode three in a separate reality, 
we find out that there is a different guy, Sissy Nig, who created Earth. <laughs> so there's many different versions of how Earth well, came or, to be. Or Ulog has many different names. Oh, yeah, very good. That could be. Maybe that's a story Marvel has yet to explore. <laughs> yeah. Issue number 407, The Menace of the Living Universe. And that's another thing, is that uh, they are in the Black Galaxy. Uh, yes. That's where the High Evolutionary and Hercules are. And apparently every single thing in the Black Galaxy is alive. So everything has a pulse. Everything moves. And, and... Well, I like the fact that the Black Galaxy has an immune system that attacks Right, when Thor it has his... foreign invaders, for yeah. sure. Absolutely. And so Thor and Eric and the Knights of Wondergore all go, travel into the Black Galaxy to where they are held, and they meet their old buddy, a guy that I've never heard of before, the Recorder. Yeah, which was great. I love the Recorder's dialogue. Yeah. Observation. This is not going well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, always has to have a very computerized kind of speak. Reminds me, I think, I can't remember if the Machine Man talks like that as well. but A little bit. Yeah. I, to me, it was like taking a like an Android version of the Watcher on your mission. Right. Like he's he's yeah. busy recording everything while participating. Apparently, he is from... The, I, I couldn't find which issue Recorder was in before. And uh, one of the, the footnotes that Ralph puts in, in here as his editor footnotes is just uh, a no prize to whoever can find out when the last time the Recorder was here. So. Yeah, I think we should start giving out no prizes. Yeah. Yeah, no prizes all around. So. Sure. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Yeah, this is also the one where, as you referenced, his armor comes back. He summons his armor, and this is... In summoning his armor, he also reveals himself to, to Eric Masterson, who as yet doesn't realize that Thor is also Sigurd. Right. And it's sort of um, an inglorious retirement for the character of Sigurd, because Thor says, I'll just never use Sigurd again, and then doesn't. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He, <laughs> yep. That's just behind him now. Which is interesting, because it's only Eric who knows that he's Sigurd. Well, and Jerry. Well, but Jerry already knew. But I mean, suddenly, because Eric knows he's Sigurd, we just never be Sigurd right. again. And then everyone, like Jerry, all of Jerry's employees are like, what happened to Sigurd? How come he's not working here anymore? Yeah. Like, <laughs> just, yeah, you Whatever. know. He left. He's gone. <laughs> One of the, my favorite moments here is that there is a giant bomb that is about to go off. But he takes the bomb's energy and channels it through his his hammer and sends it out into outer space to a dying moon and sun or dying sun and the sun became becomes a a sustainable energy source for a galaxy this is also this is also the issue where his lifespan is key so you had mentioned your life of a god is is so much longer than our own it also comes through because one of the knights of wondegar who's gone on this mission with him falls through some sort of weird glowy thing in the living uh, in the bio bioverse, right, and having fallen through that is aged to the point of death. Yes, Thor also falls through, but he's only aged to the point of having a gray beard. So it references how much longer the lifespan of the god is to a mortal, even yeah. one who's been genetically advanced. It's pretty cool. Oh, and there there is no tales of Asgard in this one because this is a packed issue. Yeah, it was there was no tales of Asgard. I did like the fact that we see. I think my one of my favorite things that's never been fully explored or explained in our universe is the Celestials. They've had some great story arcs. They've had some wonderful pieces. Yep. But you see, again, how much bigger the Celestials are than the Asgardians. Um, and that's kind of... They're used as a deus ex machina in, in this one in that, oh, I just I'm going to fix the recorder. I'm going right. to fix, fix Hercules and the High Evolutionary back to where they were. Now, and, I wonder if that was just a mistake in the drawing because um, just in one panel, all of a sudden, Thor has his cape back again and recorder's fixed. 
And did he did Tom just add the dialogue under uh, like to that panel saying, "Oh, you have your cape back again"? <laughs> yeah, because we didn't really see his cape. His cape's just gone. Gone. Yeah, and then and then his back, back again, and the recorder is magically <laughs> fixed. And I wonder if that was um, Ron just didn't realize and, and drew it, and then Tom's now script going over it and scripting it. And he's like, "Oh." How did this happen? I better write something in here to explain that what just happened. It, that could be, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I thought it was interesting, sort of those moments where again, here's you see the how much more powerful the celestials are. Um, I'm going to just uh, put in a little note from Tom talking about the high evolutionary and, and using this character here as well. You did a, the story with the high evolutionary. Was that a character that you really sought out? That you were like, oh, I'm doing Thor. I I have to include this guy at some point. I, I, I think we used him just because it was natural. It, 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 it seemed natural to include him at a certain point. But, you know, I, I really don't think... When I would approach a book, I never thought, you know, you're doing this title, so you have to include certain people. You know, Ron and I we would just try to figure out, you know, what are the most interesting stories we can tell? And, you know, we'd go from there. Right. I object to the the current mentality. Whenever anybody you know takes over a book, they it's like you know a new writer takes over a book, and they have to tell you know you know the top three villains, you know boom boom boom, yeah, and then they get off the book, and the next guy comes in and, and, and he takes so those same three villains and does his yeah. three stories, and you know, I, I've never had that kind of attitude. The thing I would love to see someone do, and I hasn't been done, or at least as far as I know hasn't been done, is like a high evolutionary Mr. Sinister, like, <laughs> they have a really similar aim. All the guys who kind and of And the high evolutionaries never yeah. really had a run-in with the X-Men, and yet here's this guy who wants to push humanity to a... Right, why wouldn't he explore like mutants? You'd, you'd think right. mutants would be more yeah. appealing to him, and also you'd think that he might want Sinister's research or vice versa, and yet, as far as yeah. I know, they have never come into conflict. Because they have very different motives than other villains, yeah. And so, um, I would have liked. To, I would like to see that at some point. Maybe, <laughs> maybe some writer would like to take that on, and that would be good. Um, yeah. So here's another clip of Ron. This time, Ron talking about Wondergore and drawing the Knights of Wondergore and, and all of this kind of stuff. Well, one of the reasons we went there is uh, in that early issue when we introduced Mongoose. Mongoose actually appeared in one panel of one of our Spider-Man stories. We were, you know, I, I had designed him as a, uh, as a Spider-Man villain and we never got around to doing him in Spider-Man. And so we said, well, you know, you just, you want to do Mongoose? And that's why, that's one of the reasons why Spidey guest starred in that issue was oh. because Mongoose had been originally designed for Spider-Man. So, uh, but then when we started thinking about him as a Thor villain, it started to make a certain amount of sense to us that he would have been a product of the high evolutionary. Right. And, you know, you, when you have the whole Marvel sandbox to play in, you know, the high evolutionary and Wondergore were originally introduced in Thor. So, you know, let's go. Let's, yeah. Let's take, you know, wow, there's a chance you're not going to pass up, you know, to, to go to that corner of the Marvel universe. You know, it was it was great fun. It was great fun. I I especially liked I, I we had talked about you know at around the time when um, we were developing. It was before we left Thor. 
but it, it all got pushed aside because we were developing Thunderstrike and everything. Uh, those we had an idea for these for these new gods that we had created, Nobilis and and Juvan and uh, I forget what the the woman's name was, but and, and we had mute, further mutated Tagar, right? And uh, I it, I we had a lot of ideas where to take that and what to do with it and stuff. I believe Roy Thomas did something with it after we after we had left. But, uh, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. I You know, the idea of, of mutating Tagar further and, and uh, having some fun with him when he was a character that had really been around for so long and been such a, you know, uh, an early core concept with the High Evolutionary. I enjoyed doing those characters immensely. Um I don't think I really created or featured any other new men that hadn't already been established, but uh, but drawing the the evolutionary uh, high evolutionary himself, and uh, you know uh, mutating Tagar further and creating those new immortals was uh, just a hell of a lot of fun. I I that I was always happy with that design. I'm not even sure where the design came from. I don't really remember if I had referenced anything in particular. But the design for that ship that he uh, that the High Evolutionary uses, mm-hmm. uh, I was always very happy with that. It was a pain in the butt to draw, <laughs> but I was always very happy with the design. Yeah, it sure looked cool, that's for sure. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so this is the return to Wondergore. Now, one of the dying knights of Wondergore in space warned Thor to be careful when they return. So I think Thor is a little bit wary, um, but they've come back with a High Evolutionary who seems reasonably thankful the opening panel of issue 408, I I think is like is is so Hercules, but it really made me think of of Kirby. Um, yeah, just the the sort of the exaggerated uh, limbs that that create a sense of motion and the line work. So I really liked that opening panel. Um, you can see Mongoose is bugged that he's no longer going to be in charge of the and it's a Wondergore, and, and um, you can see that even though there's been this sort of we owe you Thor. The Knights of Wendigo are still plotting because they're happy to take Thor's DNA when he shaves. Right. Um, and so there's that piece going forward. And then this has sort of a funny, like the Knights leave. They got what they wanted. They didn't end up having to really betray Thor. And Thor never really suspected them, so he gave up his DNA. And then this has the battle of, of Mongoose, who is considerably more formidable than I would think. Very. Um, I was quite surprised. Even more formidable than the previous issues that he's been in. Yeah, he seems to have really stepped up. Yep. Um, in this one, in fighting Thor, I wonder if he got him... some Wondergore enhancements. Well, he's definitely got Wondergore tech at least. Yeah. And I think he's put a lot of thought into how he's going to attack Thor. And this is the moment where we see Eric pick up the hammer for the first time. And yeah, it's does... a big moment. Now, I like the fact that they they let you question whether he's actually picking up the hammer. Or not. Like, they do give themselves up because as Eric is trying to pick up the hammer, Thor is summoning the hammer. And although Eric appears to be wielding the hammer, it's also being pulled towards Thor. And he ends up between Thor and Mongoose when he's yeah. shot. Right. So they, they do leave open the possibility that he just unfortunately he just grabbed it at the wrong yeah. time and got dragged <laughs> along. Which yeah. Thor has done to more than one person where he has used his hammer to, to sweep them somewhere instead. I think it happens um, in this issue later on as well. In this volume, um, yep. yeah, no, he does. So that, that was one of those moments. I thought it was it was well drawn. It leaves you sort of that brief questioning moment, 
did, did Eric Masterson really wield the hammer, or was he just getting dragged and dragged by the hammer? Because uh, um, you know Thor's comments aren't, "Oh, look, Eric's managed to pick up my hammer." This is That's incredible. True. Yeah, they kind of passed let, let that moment go. Yeah. But then immediately after, this is when this is the very big moment where Thor begs Odin to spare Eric's life because he's a noble, heroic warrior. Yes. Um, and Odin says the only way to do that is to merge you two together. But then that's it. That's the last of my power. He doesn't even say that, actually. He just says there's only one way to do this. Oh, yeah. He doesn't. And then we just then the issue that flips ahead back to Earth, Hercules and Eric have arrived, and they don't mention anything. So first you're like, did Thor take the same deal? Oh, that Enchantress? That Enchantress had. Didn't take before? Yeah. yeah. And it's not until the very final panel of the second to last page that Eric goes outside and turns himself into Thor. Yep. And before un- until that moment there are there's the possibility that Thor died. Like Thor chose to give up his own life to save Eric's, which right. is incredibly heroic, but it does it references back to that enchantress story uh, where she wasn't willing to make that trade. Huh. Very interesting. I thought it was well written that way and I can imagine in the comic the pages may have been set up so that you don't have the Thor one sitting next to you when you open it. Yes, true, with advertising and all that yep. kind of stuff in there. Yeah. To give you a different breakdown. Yeah, that could be. So I don't know if you can really think ahead that, like, if the writers are thinking where the, the ad's going to lie in this. Yeah, but the editor might. Maybe. I don't it know. Just, I mean, it would be interesting to get your hands on the old issue and see how that, that breaks down. And I think that the big page at the end, uh, page 182 in this, and the last page of that issue, is just this beautiful scene of Thor flying over New York. I thought that was that was a great piece to really drive home that Thor is now definitely back on Earth. Because yeah. as we find out, he has no way back to Asgard right now. He has chosen Earth. His last chance to go to Asgard was instead used to save Eric. So I just want to share a clip with everybody of Tom and Ron talking about merging Thor and Eric together. Uh, the, the main reason why we wanted to bring Eric in is we wanted to ground Thor. Uh, and ground him and unite him with the planet Earth. Um, so when we brought in Eric, we, we kind of always knew that at some point he and Thor would get merged. Um, and he would be Thor's secret identity. Uh, we figured, you know, Thor is a warrior who tends to break a lot of buildings. So we figured, okay, so we're going to get a guy whose job it is to, you know, create buildings and design buildings. Yeah. The, the whole plan was to have uh, the, the reader uh, relate to Eric and through Thor get to know Eric and like Eric, uh, right. and ca- hopefully care about Eric, so that at the time they're merged, one, you're going, yeah, Thor, save him, for crying out loud, and two, that you have the merger of two characters that you've, you already care about. You know, I mean, it, it, we didn't just want to bring him in as the MacGuffin that, oh, this is Thor's new identity, and let Thor tell you who this guy is. We wanted you to get to know Eric and his living situation and his his relationship with his son and his relationship with his ex and his relationship with Susan Austin and everything. We, we wanted him to be a full-blown character and, you know, get to the point, one, he was a wonderful vehicle for the reader to go along on some of Thor's adventures. And, and two, we, we needed the reader to give a crap 
about who this guy was and admire him for because he had he had chutzpah. You know, I mean, he saved Jerry's life. That's how he injured his leg. And he went along. Uh, I know we're only we're not supposed to go as far as the Black Galaxy, but he went along in the Black Galaxy saga. Right. Because he felt Thor needed somebody to watch his back. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, that that's that's a cool guy. It is, know? yeah. I mean, that, that he actually thinks that he can contribute something if it's only just to watch Thor's back. I mean, uh, I like the guy a lot. I uh, It was one of my first uh, experiences with creating a character with Tom from the ground up. And we have a Tales of Asgard, and this one's called There Dwells a Monster. Yeah, the big Mike Mignola um, story. He won't he won't draw Thor again for a decade. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool to see some of his early work here, and all of these demons underground who have shaved off horns, well, just like Hellboy. Mignola had been bouncing around Marvel throughout the '80s. He never stuck on one book. He just did random stories, um, which was really interesting. You know, one issue of Punisher here, an issue of Fantastic Four, an issue of Daredevil or Doctor Strange, and some really random stuff. There's a Power Pack issue somewhere with Mignola. Oh yeah, art, really? And a Kazar issue. Like he really did some random things, but you can see it's definitely Magnola. I think Iraq the Monster in particular, yes, is is one of the most Magnola things I've ever seen. Oh, for sure, <laughs> yeah, with the the jagged texture on his skin yeah. and the shaved off horns. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting because Iraq the Monster, um, he's only ever fought Thor, not very often. He shows up, I think, like five or six times ever in the pantheon of of Thor's books. And the only other Marvel hero he's ever fought is Wolverine. Really? <laughs> yeah. No, that's unusual. <laughs> yep, he shows up in issues 137 and 138 of Wolverine. Uh, that's it. He's, he's, he's otherwise been a very brief Thor villain. Huh. And and that's it. So, wow. But again, that speaks to the Thor rogues gallery that, that Uruk is one of his more successful villains. <laughs> 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 From a backup story. Yeah. Okay, moving on to issue number 409, Doom is only 60 seconds away. And uh, yeah, we meant, made mention that Doom was going to pop up in this volume earlier in this episode. So this issue and the next, I think it's the next issue, or is it two issues where Doom is in? Yeah. is interesting to me because Walt Simonson's now on Fantastic Four. Yeah. And he was so important to Thor throughout Thor's history. Simonson is so much. And Simonson is really key to Doom. So the the Fantastic Four story arc, and again, I'll give you all your spoiler alert, um, and I'm sure it will get touched on by Eric and Curtis as they go through the FF volumes. Doom is not in charge of Latveria. He's been usurped by his his son. Yeah. Um, this happened in, the, in John Byrne's run. Yeah, and Byrne never finished that story. Right. Whatever Byrne had planned never got wrapped up. And so, so he um, stayed in exile for so, a long time. I think through yeah. in through Engelhart's entire run. Yeah, Simons is the one who wraps it up. Yeah, and he kind of just doesn't want to deal with it. So he just kind of <laughs> Simonson just declared that um, Christoph von Doom, uh, who's later known as Christoph Verland, Doom's son, um, who'd been running Latveria, and then you've got Doom. Uh, who's been running around f- trying to get back to Latveria out of exile, Simonson just kind of wants it over. So he just declares that the doom that's been in exile was actually just a malfunctioning doom bot, and and Christopher Verland is running it, but doom's been in behind the scenes the whole time. And, yeah. and he <laughs> Simonson put out a list of... Uh, like He actually went back and took the time to identify all the times doom had showed up since he'd been in exile, and... Busy, busily told people, oh, these are the ones where he's a Doom bot. This is real Doom. Oh, this is Christoph Erland. And um, I've never seen this list. I don't know what the list 
is maybe the next time we get a, a hold of Walt, we can we can ask him if he remembers. Yeah. But I would be curious to know if Walt if identified this was, yeah. is this real is this real <laughs> Doom or is this robot Doom? That would be interesting. To um. Know. So when you read it, you can try and decide that. The other interesting thing is it wasn't an official list, so a lot of writers ignored Walt's list. Yeah. But um, <laughs> when you're reading this, it's interesting because here's Walt trying to restore Doom in the FF books. And he never brought Doom into Th- Thor. On all his time on Thor, not once did he bring Doom in. And so here's Walt now. One of his biggest legacies in the FF, I think, is restoring Doom to his place as the FF's greatest villain. Yep. And while that's going on over in the book that he'd had so much uh, influence on, Doom shows up under a different writer. Well, he's um, Walt actually isn't, now that I'm thinking about it, is not on the book yet. Because Walt's first issue of Fantastic Four was the Acts of Vengeance, um, was the Acts of Vengeance Fantastic Four story. So we are not at that point because the Acts of Vengeance story yes, here are a couple issues. So this is this is still while Steve Englehart is on, on the book, on Fantastic Four. Yeah, and during that Doom Exile, he popped up in a lot of different books randomly. Um, he had a brief cameo in Avengers West Coast. And because he, he played a big role in um, Acts of Vengeance. He yes. he popped up in Spider Man during their that time well, as well. But Acts of Vengeance is Loki's big, uh, big right. moment in the Marvel universe. It's it's really the one that where Loki becomes a Marvel villain. Yeah. So. So in this one, the the, the basic plot of this story is that Doom uh, attacks Thor with a robot that has a like a some sort of uh, transportation beam in its chest, and Thor throws his hammer at the beam and it transports the hammer somewhere else, and because. Uh, this is still at the point where if Thor is not holding his hammer for 60 seconds, more than 60 seconds, he turns back to Eric Masterson. So he loses all of his Thor power, and they have to travel to Latveria in order to get the hammer back. Hercules has now become a reoccurring character in the book. He's uh, Eric's roommate, and I want to play a little clip of Ron and Tom talking about bringing Hercules into the story. I always thought of Hercules as a regular Thor character, and I thought he was, a, you know, he was a good contrast to Eric and to Thor. Yep. Bring him in. He, he's a good character. He's a good. He's a good foil. He, because he's such a contrast to Thor, he tells us a lot about, and a greater contrast to Eric. He, I, I thought he, you know, it was a, just a good catalyst. Yeah, and he added, I think, some much-needed uh, humor as well. Um, a good to yeah, give a lot a of bit. a lot of humor and a lot of pathos. He's a really neat character, and some of uh, I think it was Tom. I'm going to go ahead and, g- and give Tom the nod on that. You know, some of his favorite stories, uh, Thor stories, were those classic stories where Hercules showed up. He and Thor were hanging out together. And uh, remember, he was fooled into signing Pluto's contract, and Thor had right. to go into Hades and and uh, fight his way out. Uh, you know, those were some of Tom's favorite stories. I loved uh, when Jerry Conway brought Hercules in uh, during that period of time with Basema, where they met Fire Lord and all this. And he was, you know, it's a fun character, and he was bouncing around the Marvel universe at that time. So, uh, you know, I it. it it occurred to us now that Thor had a uh, a secret identity, basically, 
that it could be a really interesting way to kind of upend Eric's life and all that and, uh, you know, kind of have uh, the, the most ridiculous roommate on the planet. <laughs> I actually think that Hercules is best as a supporting character. I, um, I love Hercules, and I think he's um, one of the great characters in the universe. I think that he is at his best as the foil for another character. I don't yeah. think he's got the depth to carry his own book and... Um, I liked it when he was paired with Thor, uh, with Hulk for a while. Um, I like it when he's on the Avengers. Right. Um, he's kind of he reminds me a lot of um, like a combination of Volstagg and um, Fandral of the the Warriors Three. Like he's just there to have a good time. He likes battle. He's he's, he's definitely... just bombastic and has an ego. Yeah. Uh, and then the Tales of Asgard story the, here yeah, is the wrap up to the Magnola story. Yeah, the wrap up here. But we can move right on to issue number 410. Yeah, Doom versus Doom. So you get Christoph Verland and Doctor Doom fighting. You get uh you get a really bombastic, arrogant kind of um chauvinistic Hercules and a frustrated She-Hulk. Yeah. Uh heading off to to recover the hammer. Um it's interesting that She-Hulk's just kind of thrown in. Like I know they explain it. Oh, Captain America said that she had to go along. But. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, um, they just wanted another guest star. And also, you know, there's the female representation in this book is pretty minimal. So yes. any chance to, to throw in a, one of, like a character like She-Hulk, I think is, is welcome for sure. Uh, this is a fun issue, just with uh, Eric trying to, to get to the hammer with no powers. Then anytime that p- the heroes have to, um, invade Latveria because it's technically invading because they're never welcome yep. there. Um, it's always kind of a fun, a fun issue to read. I love the way Latveria is always represented. It almost looks like it's this like, like this old yeah. Oktoberfest yeah, sort of thing. And then, uh, so like that, I, I don't know who originally decided that Latveria would sort of have this, this old school sort of like German village feel, but they maintain that, and I think they that's sure always do. amusing. I also like the fact that the Doom does defeat Kristoff in this. Yeah, he has a device that halts time in Latveria for of of everybody except um, Kristoff happens to have a time displacement armor as arm- well. As, as well, <laughs> so he, he's um, not affected by it. But I like the fact that he he defeats him, but doesn't kill him because the Latverian guard is freed when Thor reclaims his hammer. Yes, and flees, and then Kristoff rewards his guard by killing him for seeing him defeated yeah it, um, it's so strange the timing so, of this issue just the way that tom is has uh, written it and, and ron has laid it out is just perfect yes um and like i said we know now the whole like christoph doom Doombot story arc but yeah. at the time you really do wonder which is the real doom they present that the doom who stole the hammer is the real doom but we don't know so it's the beginning of that story and then you get the the back of story here is, is Volstagg's big moment. And so it's it's Volstagg being all Volstaggy and bouncing around. Um but it's also interesting because this is your Herb Trimpey uh moment. So he's he's back and, and Herb Trimpey is is an old school Marvel guy from the sixties. Very he had a good run on Hulk. Yep. Yeah, he does a couple other things in this issue a little bit later on. So and then we've skipped to our Atlantis attacks annual. So. Yep, this is fit right in the middle here because it divides the two different volumes. There's the black gap, this this the, the Wonder Gore story, and then everything moving forward is is sort of a start of a new chapter in Thor's life. So it's an appropriate place to put an annual. 
Unfortunately, the annual isn't that great, so it kind of is like a bummer in the middle of the book here. Yeah, it drags. Especially because this is the second to last chapter of something like thir- a 13-part story of Atlanta's attacks, and we only get this one chapter, which I can understand. They can't include the entire thing because that's no. a book of, it in its, of itself. But, uh, but we're coming into the middle of a story, a story that doesn't seem terribly interesting to me either. So I didn't, it's, and it's 30 pages. Yeah, the only thing that I will say right in the middle, I love the visual of 245. The use of the negative space and then pushing this bubble and then it pops. And yes. Plotting-wise, I was like, me. Yeah, and um, just the use of, of all of the, the, the weird character combinations. Like we have Quasar and Thing and Doctor Strange and Thor together. It just seems like an odd combo. Yeah, but Quasar but, and Thing High Five, it's like a great buddy moment from <laughs> Tom Gu- yeah. Top Gun or something. Um, it's a throwback to the Marvel two in one days, I think as well. But yeah, so this in this issue, Thor takes Quasar and Thing and Doctor Strange to come up with a plan to defeat Set. Um, and their their big plan is to dive inside Set and kind of destroy him from the inside out. Yes. So that's what they do. There's a lot of really cool L. Milgram art in this, and he's doing his best Steve Ditko. Um, impression, I think because Doctor Strange is here, so we see a lot of that influence in here. Um, but yeah, second to last chapter of this story, and I don't really care to find out how it ends. No, well, I mean, you will as you go through all the the epic collections. I eventually will. You'll probably have to go dig them all out and find it. Um, this one, this one concludes cool. in uh, Fantastic Four Annual number twenty-two, yes. and so I think that will probably be in the upcoming. Fantastic Four epic collection called the New Fantastic Four, which is coming out soon. So I probably will finish this story fairly soon. But there are a couple of backups in this one annual that are worth mentioning. Uh, One of them is called God's Hope, where Thor uh, goes to this desert planet. It's, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's Earth. Yeah, it's Earth. Except it's been ravaged by something. It's a ruined Earth in the future. And uh, and he starts to cry, but his tears, and he calls forth lightning, his tears bring on th- a thunderstorm, which brings the Watcher, which makes Thor realize that his tears are actually causing the planet to be saved because the Watcher's there because this is an important event. Yeah, It's a silent issue, except with some narration that, that includes a Christian prayer, which I thought was an odd juxtaposition with a Norse god, but there you go. It was there. Yeah, you know it's Earth because there's briefly in a corner they slip in a sign that says Los Angeles. Right. Otherwise, there's no you, you wouldn't know what planet it is except for that. So, so it must I mean, be set in the far future or something Or there's like that. the possibility that the Rigelians also have a Los Angeles. I don't know what you want to Yeah, <laughs> that's right. There is a Los Angeles on every major planet, that's isn't right. there? That's right, yeah. The Cree city of Los Angeles. Yeah. So. Two more backup stories in here. One of them, what is this one called? It's Balder. Balder agonizes. Oh, Balder agonizes. Yeah, yeah sorry. You made mention earlier that uh, Balder is kind of down on himself about the way he handled this whole leadership thing, and this kind yep. of explores that. There's also a very amusing story called Thy Neighbor's Wife. With Jim Valentino. With very early Jim Valentino art. Um, in this one, Loki masquerades as the husband of, some, of, a, of a woman he's infatuated with in order to trick her into marrying him, which 
there's a lot of kind of the the biblical reference to the David and Bathsheba kind of story here because uh, Loki has Odin send this guy off to battle so that he can be killed and then he take then Loki takes his place. Kind of a sad ending because she the 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 woman he ends up marrying says you know no no we're married now I have to suffer I have to deal with this so I will. It's kind of that's kind of a a step back for feminism there. <laughs> I wouldn't say this book was necessarily a step forward for feminism. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> You've got a helpless secretary pining over her boss, She-Hulk dealing with Hercules being a twit, and all kinds of uh, images of women throwing themselves at Fandral in those backup stories. True, very true. So, um, um, With the exception of Sif's brief moment of being uh, influential on Odin as an advisor, there's not a lot of uh, positive moments for 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 women in this book the last the last chapter in the annual is called congress of crowns and it's the chapter of the saga of the serpent crown which apparently is a good story but this one chapter doesn't do much for me i think it needs to be read in context of the larger story um yeah i remember reading the first issue of that i think is a silver surfer annual oh yeah it's the beginning of the serpent crown saga but i don't remember what happens in it <laughs> probably have it at home I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. So now we're at Acts of Vengeance, which is, for the Thor books, is mostly Thor fights Juggernaut, and it's also, which was really exciting to me, the beginning of the New Warriors. They make their big debut here. Um, but Acts of Vengeance is, like I said, it's Loki becoming a true Marvel villain. His entire premise of Acts of Vengeance is Loki wants vengeance on Thor, and Loki has the smart idea, let's find a bunch of villains and have them fight superheroes they've never fought, and then beat them. Because you've all failed to beat your regular superhero, go fight a new one. So he picks yep. Juggernaut for Thor. It was a fairly well-done overall crossover. He approaches some villains to turn him down, but he gets others on board. Red Skull, Doctor Doom. Kingpin, um, yeah. Mandarin. They hop on board. They get down with a plan. I know, I can't remember everyone. Apocalypse rejects him. I know Apocalypse says no. I can't remember who else bows out. But a lot of the big villains get on board, and, and Loki goes from there. And so it's a Loki crossover, really, not a Thor crossover. But, of course but no one was... knows it's Loki until the very end, until this issue. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, no, no. no. Uh, is it, I think it's the next issue. Or until the next issue, yeah, yeah. So the beginning himself. of Acts of Vengeance and 4.11, it's all happening. And it's interesting because they don't even give you a reference to where the island is destroyed. Like the, They only tell you the island's been destroyed, but they don't give you a reference to the issue you need to go read from the Acts of Vengeance story. Right. But so here you have Acts of Vengeance... Juggernaut is fighting Thor, and Juggernaut does really well. He's very formidable. I'm quite surprised. Like, even throw, uh, Thor throws his hammer at him, and it just bounces off of him. Well, the other interesting thing is this is the first of two times Eric Masterson is going to have to fight Juggernaut, because in Thunderstrike, uh, Masterson's first major fight as Thunderstrike is Juggernaut, and it goes equally poorly. Huh. Well, technically, this is not Eric Masterson fighting Juggernaut. No, I know, but... Thor and Eric Masterson are combined at this point right. or amalgamated at this point. So, And this is, again, one of those moments. Th Juggernaut grabs the hammer and it just drags him back to Thor. Yeah. So that's where I was saying that. That moment where Eric's picked up the hammer, you're not totally sure he's grasping it. Right. Um, but yeah, so this is, as you would expect, this is just a big action issue, mostly just Juggernaut and Thor fighting and Juggernaut doing surprisingly well. And at the end of it, it appears he's defeated Thor... Um, only to be confronted by the new warriors. And the backup story is a better Ray Bill 
backup story illustrated by my favorite or one of my favorites, Ron Lim. This one was good. I, I enjoyed it spans over three issues and yes. I thought it was quite quite a good uh, little story here. Um, before we go on any further, I just want to slip in a little clip of Ron and Tom both talking about creating the new warriors. I felt that, you know, at the time, I felt that the, the, the vast majority of our readership was 16-year-olds of all ages. Um, readers who were under 16 uh, and dreamt of the magical day then they, that they would be 16, and readers who were over 16 and still loved comics and, you know, wanted to have that same thrill of being a 16-year-old, no matter what, what their age was. Um, you know, in those days, we had a, a very big mass market distribution, which was, uh, you know, actually bigger than our direct market distribution. And I thought, you know what? We should have have a, a team of teenage superheroes. And, and I spoke to guys, and nobody was interested in doing it because everybody wanted to do adult stuff. So I said, okay, well, then I'm going to create it. I created it, made up the Bible, and then I handed it to an editor. And, and uh, the editor, I believe, was Danny Fingroth. And, and he says, I, I know just the people who can do this as a regular comic book. Um, and he brought in Fabian and Mark Bagley. And again, they did a great job on it, much better than Ron and I would have done. I'm, I'm so pissed at those guys. <laughs> Tom and I created the New Warriors. That was when Tom I was either executive editor or editor-in-chief, and it was always intended to be developed and then go into its own series. But, uh, you know, he wanted the, he was developing it. I designed uh, Night Thrasher, and uh, I am the one guilty of the Nova costume that nobody liked. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> the red that one. That was my fault. I did that. And I, I can't blame anybody else. The red, the red Nova costume with the uh, the cross shirt. Everybody hated it. Yeah. Even Mark Bagley hated that outfit. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, uh, that was uh, we we developed. Uh, he he put the team together, and I designed the characters that needed to be designed. We introduced them in Thor, but it was uh, I think the plan was always for them to to get their own book, depending on the uh, response, and. Uh, not, not, not that in any way Mark Bagley owes me his career because he is an incredibly talented guy and arguably far more successful than I've been in this industry. But um, when Danny Fingeroth was trying to decide who to hire to do New Warriors, uh, I had done covers for some annuals that Bagley had done artwork for. And I, I was strongly suggesting Bagley for that. I said, you, you need to hire this Mark Bagley. That's, I, he'd be terrific for a, for a team book like this. And, uh, and Danny was always big on soliciting everybody's opinion and discussing it with you and you know, uh, asking you why you thought that and, and all this kind of stuff. So I, I have no proof that Dan only hired Mark because of my say-so. <laughs> I was in there pitching for him you know i would say that that's the guy you need to get this guy and uh, and, and the fact that danny did damn it i'm gonna take credit for it what okay so this issue here issue number 412 introducing the new warriors it's the whole thing is one big battle and it's used as a way to show off all of the different new warriors powers so that we uh can get introduced to them so that when their book launches in a few months uh we're all on board with it 
kind of like a backdoor pilot episode. I was on board. Yeah. They are the most early 90s team possible with a skateboarding superhero and a bunch of kids, but I gave Marvel credit. Yep. Um, I thought it was, I mean, I, I loved the New Warriors. I have the issues at home. I don't like what Marvel's done with the New Warriors throughout the 2000s. Oh, like with Civil War and... All of that yeah. stuff. But um, the 90s New Warriors were great, and I thought this book was was a blast. And I like watching them trying to go toe-to-toe with with Juggernaut, and also you get a sense of their limitations, because they don't really defeat Juggernaut. They just hold him off long enough for Thor to come around and, and then defeat him. So. so in this one, Thor's hammer can apparently open portals... Because they encase Juggernaut in, I don't know, concrete or something like that. And then Thor uses his hammer to send Juggernaut into outer space. And it's like, I didn't know if Thor's hammer can do that, why does he, why can't he just travel anywhere that way? Well, we know his hammer can take him somewhere because he can use his hammer to get back to Asgard normally. He just, at the moment, Asgard is too far out of reach in the negative zone. Okay. Um, but normally it's his route home to Asgard, so I suppose it's possible it can send you to other realms as well. But I mean, in this particular volume, Thor's hammer does some pretty incredible things. It creates a windstorm in space, and yeah. that's an awfully impressive thing to do without air. So Right. Next up is issue 413, Within Me Dwells a Monster. And in this issue, we are continuing the Acts of Vengeance story. Even though these issues don't have the little Acts of Vengeance banner across the top, it's, it still kind of relates the, our mystery guy who we don't know we don't know who this guy is yet. He sends Ulick to take out um, Hercules, who happens to be visiting Doctor Strange with uh, with Eric at the time. The, uh, those acts of vengeance banners, if I recall, weren't always accurate. I believe there was an Iron Man issue that said acts of vengeance and had nothing to do with it. So. Oh, really? Well. This one certainly has something to do with it, um, but yeah, we don't, it, I don't know, it's not officially part of the crossover or something, but uh, but we get, and it's, and it's strange because Ulick eventually carries out his mission after Acts of Vengeance is finished anyway, like he uh, keeps on going. So I don't know if, you know, this this plot was always meant to be in, in the story, in Tom, Tom Befelko's plan maybe, but... Uh, then they were like, hey, can you uh, do this Acts of Vengeance thing with us? So he had to kind of tie it in a little bit. I don't know if that was part of it or not. Yeah, that, that could be. It's a question for Tom. Yeah. This issue, we find out that there's kind of something going on with Hercules. Um, he's staring at the out, out the window with Kevin, staring at the stars, but and then something something happens. The picture shows stars in his eyes, but he sees something that's not there. So maybe he still has a connection with whatever galaxy he was he was part of after the evolutionary war but um this is not the only time that um that he's been having some issues yeah no that's that's true because if you if you remember the last panel of um of page 201 um he's he's experiencing fear for the first time as well right yeah we forgot to mention that so um which is going to be key in the last few issues of this volume uh hercules struggle with fear becomes more and more of an issue um so there's a few psychological pieces i don't think hercules is he's brought his swagger back but it it looks like it might not uh it might be a little bit for show yeah. to start in his return um from from his experience of the evolutionary war so or perhaps he has evolved, and now he's a deeper person. 
Um, there is also the the custody battle that's starting to take place now. Eric's ex-wife is now trying to get a hold of Kevin and take Kevin away from him. And this proves to be a really interesting sort of soap opera drama plot point because uh, throughout the rest of this book, Eric is trying to save the city or save the world as Thor, um, and it ends up hurting his chances of keeping his son uh, because he misses court dates and, and that kind of thing. So there's, whereas when Doc, when Don Blake in the old Stan Lee days, when he uh, had to leave his doctor's office and all of his patients to become Thor, there were never ramifications from that. He'd always be like, see you later, Jane, I'm taking the afternoon off. And then he'd hop out the window and fly away and uh, nothing would happen. But this time... Well, being, as we've noted, Sigurd can just stop existing and it doesn't seem to have affected anyone. Yeah, so. yep. But this one has a very different effect because Eric actually has a dependent that counts yes. on him. So it's very interesting. It's a different, no one different counts story. on their doctor. <laughs> yeah, no one at all. <laughs> Whatever, he misses that surgery. That's, you'll make it up another time. No, we're mid-surgery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jane, finish up for me. I'll be back. Yeah, no, that's true. It's, it's an interesting piece grounding Thor on Midgar, like further grounding mm -hmm. Thor to Midgard as they move him more and more away from being this sort of cosmic being um, to a more modern Thor as well, like a more modern take. Because as you were saying, Donald Blake um, was also part of a different era. There wasn't custody battles to the same extent when Thor yeah. came into existence. It's a, very, it's a very 80s and 90s sort of experience as well. So Yeah, that's a good point. So the, the main plot of this one is that... Uh, I guess one thing we also haven't mentioned is that Thor's been having these kind of dizzy spells and blackouts uh, throughout this book. And so he's going to go see a doctor about it. And the doctor he's going to go see is Doctor Strange. And so Doctor Strange does a little spell or something to, to send Thor inside his mind to see if there's something psychological that he can find out. And he ends up having to battle himself, um, his, his, uh, his old armored self, to uh, uncover the the hidden truths or whatever. And if we find out that in the brief moment in the previous volume, when Thor was depowered during the, the battle with Seth, Loki grabbed a hold of Thor's mind and planted a little bit of himself inside there and has been hiding out. And so they find out and um, expel Loki from Thor's mind. And apparently now he's cured. Which brings us back to Thor's only true rogue is yeah, Loki. That's right. That always is to come back to Loki. Right. It'd be like if in the end all the Batman villains were just the Joker. That is entirely possible. Yeah. They That could be. There's the next story for you, uh, Scott Snyder. I don't think he needs our help. Okay. This is also the issue that we find out that the mystery man who's been coordinating the acts of vengeance is Loki. That's the big reveal in this one. And uh, the way that Acts of Vengeance is laid out, because I've now read several epic collections that have these issues. And unless you're reading all of the titles, you never get any resolution for, to these stories at all. Because we find out that Loki's behind it here. And then the whole Acts of Vengeance is wrapped up in an issue of West Coast Avengers. With the, is that the one with the Tri-Sentinel? No, that's an epic 
that's an issue of Spider-Man. By the way, how tough is Spider-Man taking out a Tri-Sentinel when the X-Men can barely handle one? Well, he had cosmic powers at the time, so I think that has something to do with it. <laughs> this one at least lets us know to read Avengers West Coast number 55 to find out the answers to Acts of Vengeance. They're the conclusion. But these, those other ones, the Fantastic Four, like they just fought random villains and got no, for no reason, and they never found out why. That was just it. Yeah, that's fair. Now the question is, do you think editorial was like, you need to go fight a random villain, or do you think they were like, here, Steve Englehart, you now have to write a story where the Fantastic Four fight. Who did they fight in that one? Um, the Fantastic Four, it was actually Walt Simonson, That's, and okay. and um, they fought every single random C-list villain all at the same time. Like, they all attacked the Baxter building at once. All these guys, like Plant Man and armadillo and i don't know a bunch of guys that we you, you've heard once and then never come back like our next villain like our next villain yeah well why don't we get right into that um oh yeah and, and there's a one final chapter in the beta ray bill arc saga yeah arc um i i liked this story he he's helping a space colony that's trying to find a new place to live and these pirates that fuel their ship on the life force of of people or beings hijack the colony and try to try to use the life force so basically eradicate the this whole this whole race or species and then beta rebel has to save the day and ends up freeing all the other slaves that are on the ship too so we're core all the way yeah there is a text recap in this epic collection, right at the beginning of this one, letting us know how Acts of Vengeance ends, just in case we were all wondering. There's also a text recap telling us how the uh, Atlantis Attacks um, story ends. We're not going to go pick up those issues either. So there you go. That's how you know how it ends. Okay, carrying on, we have issue number 414. And yeah, Ulick, Beyond Courage, Must I Survive?, Thor, uh, being Thor is causing problems in Eric's personal life. That's one side of the story. And then Ulick attacks Hercules. And like I mentioned before, Ulick says, oh, I haven't heard anything from Loki for a while. I wonder if her plan's still on. I'll just do it anyway. And so he goes and attacks Hercules, who is paralyzed by fear, like overcome by his fear, and gets horribly beat by, by Ulick. Yeah, the fear thing was interesting for for Her- Hercules because he is so boisterous. Um, it's it's the it's page three sixty seven in the in the whole volume, but I think it's what page it's page five of this issue, and he's terrified, like he's screaming, no stop, like he's begging, and um, yeah. he's frozen. It says Prince Power freezes, um, and even Ulick says you're disappointed, and he is a disappointment. Here's this guy who talks about being the Prince of Power and. My mighty fists. And yep. And never steps down to a fight. Talks, and, talks a big game, and he yep. is terrified uh, in this one of, of Ulick. And, I mean, Ulick is as B-list as you get. No offense, <laughs> Ulick. But um, it's pretty sad to see. And so that is the fear piece is playing a big role um, for Hercules. It's too bad he didn't bring it up when they were visiting Doctor Strange. Maybe Strange could have figured out what was in his head, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it provides a, a good balance because we're introduced to these two cop characters who eventually try to help and save the day, and they end up being the ones that stop Ulick at the end of this issue. So um, they are able to fire a gun and, and get Ulick off balance at the top of a building, and he falls. And um, it's a moment where Thor can't reach his hammer, or Eric can't reach his hammer. So we, we have this, this nice um, contrast 
of a depowered Thor and a fear-paralyzed Hercules unable to do anything, and it's up to New York's finest to Well, there's a scene also where cops try and tackle Ulick, which brings into question how he's trading blows with Thor and then getting tackled by regular cops. But yeah, um, it also fits into the theme established by that issue at the beginning. Like, as much as you, you and I felt that the initial one-off filler issue um, was sort of a throw-in piece, it established a, a theme for this book that is the worthiness of man. Yep. And we've gone through this discovering, you know, here's Masterson stepping in. Here, at one point, you have Masterson's kid standing up to, um, to Quicksand. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you have Masterson giving his life to save Thor. Now you have a bunch of police officers uh, stepping in, in in a situation that is terrifying to Hercules, who is the power of Zeus, yeah. and has left Thor um, temporarily unable to fight. Uh, you have a bunch of humans stepping in again. So for a, a book that starts with what you sort of see as a, a toss-away issue, mm-hmm. it really establishes the theme of, of this volume. Whether that was the intention, I don't know, um, when Marvel put this collection together, because they're just sticking groupings of issues together, but it sort of, it does give you an interesting transition through the issues that, that, that the courage of humanity or the courage of the average mortal. Yeah, and that reminds me of something that um, Ron was talking about in the interview, so I'll play that clip here. I think Tom took a lot of heat for trying to roll the books back to the 60s, and, and I think that was people misunderstanding you know, what he was saying, because I'm, I'm sure a lot of that perception came out of conversations that Tom would have, because uh, I know I had the same conversations with Tom, which is not, let's go back to what the character used to be, but let's let's rediscover, let's go back and talk about what makes this character different and unique from every other character. And, you know, like, if that's with Iron Man, then it's, you know, man's relationship with technology, uh, personal and societal relationship with technology. If it's Thor, it's you know the struggle between god and man kind of yeah yeah you know in fact there there was a quote that jerry conway used at one point that we used for a title uh for two titles it was my suggestion which is if men are gods then what are gods (laughs) you know so it's that relationship between godhood and man and why why thor thinks we're so great you know, I mean, the the one thing that I think has been lost a lot in the Thor character, other than in the movies, is his relationship with mankind. He thinks people are fantastic, and one of the reasons he thinks they're fantastic is we have a limited, we have a such a limited lifespan. You know, other Asgardians wonder what's the big deal with humanity because you know our lights shine so briefly. We we burn so briefly and and but to thor that's the whole point yeah to thor you know we get up every morning knowing we have a limited number of days and yet we still get up and we accomplish things we build things we we write poetry we you know create art and and to him that is every bit as amazing and worthy of respect and admiration as anything an asgardian can accomplish yeah, no, that makes sense, which isn't, of course, the case in the wager where he mocks mortals and gets in his wager in the first place. So Right, and I think that's what um, shows it's that experience that changes his mind about humans. Yeah, no, it's just, yeah. like I said, that has created the theme of this volume. Yeah. I really like the last panel where um, Eric is confronting his wife 
because he failed to pick pick his child up from school or something. But uh, Marcy says, I'm going to take Kevin away from you, Eric, and no power on earth can stop me. And then we see Eric standing there with his cane, and the shadow on the wall is of Thor. So it's like not some even... really intense yeah, shoulder pads. Very... Well, I think it's his cape or something, but but yeah, not even Thor's power is going to stop be able to stop her from taking Kevin from her. So... I liked that uh, that little image there. Yeah. Okay, next up is 415. This is a fill-in issue by Tom DeFalco and Herb Trimpey, where um, now that Eric and Thor are, are merged, um, Eric has all of Thor's thoughts, which I could imagine would be overwhelming, having a thousand years well, worth of thoughts, thoughts and memories. Uh, and memories of Asgard and, and battles and also and the things Thor would have seen and his oh, yes. comprehension of the universe versus... I think it'd be overwhelming. But anyway, he doesn't dwell on that. Instead, he recalls how Thor became Thor in the first place. So we have sort of a, a um, an expanded retelling of that very first issue of Thor in Journey into Mystery, where we talk about how, uh, he, how he got his powers. And it's um, it's different... Apparently, Don Blake, Odin cloned a body of another person and called that called that that clone Don Blake, and then put Thor into that body, which is something we didn't have or we didn't know in that early issue of of Journey into Mystery. So there's another person out there that looks like Don Blake, and yeah. then, then he had to go through a schooling and everything. I wonder like if that. Stanley knew that when he was writing Journey into Mystery. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> if only Tom DeFalco was there to tell him. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But in, you know, it's an okay issue as far as uh, as these fill-ins go. I'm I'm glad that it's not just a retelling of the origin. Like it adds to it the, expands on the yeah, the mythos. It adds to the overall story. So that was yep. cool. Um, and the tale of Asgard story is about Hogan, Hogan the Grim. He gets his own story, which is kind of cool. And he uh, this it's kind of funny because I don't really know much about Hogan at all. He's like the one of the three that. Of that of the Warriors three that just doesn't no, no he's he's the third wheel of the Warriors <laughs> the third wheel yeah so it was uh, good to see um, a story of, of him but he's kind of a jerk because he he goes into battle and this young kid really wants to be his apprentice and follow in his footsteps but uh, Hogan doesn't want him to do it so he is the most obnoxious jerk ever and eventually the kid says forget it I don't want to be associate with you and then he walks away and and hogan's happy about it the end <laughs> that's it it was kind of a, an amusing story well, that's one way to to deal, solve a problem just yep. be mean to it till it leaves um and then we we jump into the hero and the horror issue 416 and this is the one where we start to really um, see the effects of fear on a god yeah or on a demigod i guess in, in the case of hercules um and this is the issue with the with the truly throwaway villain, um, <laughs> the Dark Dweller. Who doesn't even have a name. Yeah, they never name him here. He has never been named since. He has never reappeared. Yep. If you read these two issues and you are a huge fan of the Dark Dweller, you will be disappointed to know that you are never going to encounter him again. As of this recording. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows? What, um, what, know, what, what's going to happen Jonathan now Jonathan Hickman is, might really love this character and have big plans for him. Or he's going to hear this podcast and be like, i got to look into that Dark Dweller. <laughs> <laughs> Just you wait. Right. <laughs> you never know. Crazier so, things have happened. Yeah, well, if he does, I hope we get a shout-out. <laughs> or, 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 or we get... Uh, 
get some shade thrown our way. Yeah. So the cover of this one's really striking. It's all in red, and it's uh, with just uh, very sparse white highlights to accent some of the some of the things in the in the picture here. Um, and the, the, that kind of monochromatic uh, color job is found throughout this issue. There are many times when things are just pinks and purples. Um, I think sort of to emphasize the glow or the aura of the Dark Dweller and what he's up to. It also harkens back, um, like the Dark Dweller is also draining life force and lurking in shadows. Um, and when he attacks, things tend to go pinky. Um, and that reminds us of, of Annihilus yeah. on Asgard. Right, So yes. Thor has just been through this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And same with, even with, like, yeah, the color palette when they're fighting um, Annihilus with all the yellow and stuff. So this one is, uh, has a great ending. Um, Eric is thrown out of his window. Yeah. It's, it's actually quite funny because the dark dweller is looking for Thor and doesn't realize he's found him as he launches Eric through the window. Um, but yeah, it's like, this is, how is he going to get out of this? He doesn't have his cane, so he can't turn to Thor and he's falling. And then you get, this time we showcase Fandral. This, the is a, the, this is a great story. Uh, and this is just, here's Fandral's just having a good time. Um, this one was fun. This one was totally fun. And I love that, uh, yeah, he, this one guy that he's fighting, because Fandral's a ladies' man, so he's like uh, always talking about all of the women. And no, he's the, like he's the Tony Stark of yep. Asgard. But he's, but the one woman that he loves the most he goes through these great lengths to like bring her a flower or whatever. And this guy's like, I got to find out who this one is who inspires Fendril so much. And it turns out to be Fendril's mom. That's <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. So these, these tales of Asgard are really hit and miss. Some of them are just terrible and boring. And, uh, but then some of them are just quite amusing and, and fun. And I'm glad that they're there. Yep. Then for 17, we get the conclusion of our dark dweller story. Um, thankfully, in case anyone was worried, Eric Masterson managed to catch up to the cane as they were both falling oh, through good. the sky. I and thought this book was going to be renamed Hercules. Wouldn't be the first time they've changed the title <laughs> character. <laughs> right. Actually, it might have been the first time if they'd done that. It has happened since. Oh, yeah. If they had done it back here, <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is interesting because now Hercules is, is um, he's been mind-controlled or... Um, enslaved by the dark dweller so it's not just him but the the whole he ends up controlling like the whole block that that they're fighting in yes there are moments where you think hercules is coming out he's not so it's interesting it's interesting too you have to wonder uh, thor doesn't seem overly phased by hercules assaults if hercules is um like if this is just us establishing that thor is that much more powerful or if hercules is holding back or or if um, the Dark Dweller doesn't know how to use Hercules effectively. Yes. And he never gets a second chance. Yes. Yeah, because uh, it's nice that um, Hercules kind of... Oh, no, it's not this issue that Hercules snaps out of it, right? No. It's no, the no, next no. one. So we return back to Asgard, which we haven't seen in a little while, in a few issues here. But uh, things are going to start happening with Asgard pretty soon. Um Odin wakes up and has some sort of premonition, but he's not telling anybody what it's going to be. Um, but something bad's going to happen. So you always—that's not a good sign when Odin Is says that, that. Yeah, something bad's going to happen. Okay, so Thor uses the same trick 
that he did in earlier in here where he takes the power of the alien and throws it into a sun in order to make the sun a little bit more sunny that's how he solves this this one he i think he throws the whole um alien into the sun or maybe it's no just... no the dark dweller leaves vowing oh yeah that's right yeah yeah he just takes the dark dweller's power and yeah. energy and yeah no, the dark dweller the leaves vowing to return and get revenge which um it's a slow burn yeah um the tales of asgard story here is called the abduction yeah, Lear is back. Lear is back. Good I old like Lear. Lear. I wasn't. I don't sure. know how. I don't know how those Celtic gods don't get a get more play <laughs> in the Marvel universe. No kidding. Hey, they should be an Avenger. They should like we've had Ares in the Avengers and Hercules and Thor and honestly, one of these Celtic gods. Lear needs a shot at the Avengers. Well, he's got a shot here to be part of Asgard, but he kind of blows it because uh, he's a lot more hot headed than even most Asgardians. This, these were interesting back stories because they're they're contemporary I mean, yeah. to the book. They're That's no right. longer they're no longer exploring old tales of the past of Asgard. These are important to what will be volume eighteen eventually, and to yeah. the Thor series itself. And they tie in, and eventually, the tales of Asgard and the main book, the stories, the plots come together. To, to create a big a big epic story. I think that's in vol- volume 18, but yeah. Well, hopefully it will be. Um, hopefully, yeah, I imagine it will be. Um, but in this one, yeah, Sif, Lear comes to Asgard in order to take Sif as his bride, and Sif is not going to have any of it, but then she eventually, um, she eventually accepts. We don't really know why. Well, the bigger thing she realizes is how did Lear get here when Asgard is inaccessible? Yes, so it'll be nice to see Sif play a little bigger role a little bit later on. Next up, our last issue of the book is issue 418 called Fear Kills. And um, and Hercules has to go up against um, the Wrecking Crew. Who are, I think, some of the most underrated villains, at least muscle-wise, in the Marvel Universe. They're not the smartest group of villains out there, but they all have a a, a portion of... Asgardian power, and so they're they're very formidable. They're not just pushovers for poor Hercules. And Hercules, of course, is struggling with uh, a loss of confidence. He's experiencing fear repeatedly now for the first time in his life, um, and he's not coping with it well. And so he's he's struggling with self doubt. Um, as the issue itself reminds you, they have previously beaten Hercules so badly he's in a coma. Um, for those of you that don't know the backstory of the Wrecking Crew, if you if you don't read Avengers, if you haven't encountered them previously, um, the Wrecker, who is their leader, he's the the goof in green and purple with the crowbar. Um, he got his hands on on a well. He always used his crowbar for crime, and um, was somehow mistaken for being Loki by by one of the Asgardians, and was bestowed a, a large amount of Asgardian power, which was stored in his enchanted crowbar. Uh, and then he invited his friends to all hold the crowbar, and they held it up in the sky until it was hit by lightning. And then the <laughs> power was equally split between the four of them, uh, creating the Wrecking Crew. So they all have a quarter of Asgardian power, um, thanks to the enchanted crowbar. And do they all, they all have, like, 
Thunderball has his enchanted wrecking ball then? And uh... So uh, there's no explanation for the wrecking ball. It just looks cool, I think, okay. from the artist's standpoint. <laughs> it itself was not enchanted. Oh, okay. Just the uh, the crowbar. The crowbar is the enchanted yeah. weapon. And it's funny. Yeah, and there's one point we even see him throw away the crowbar and it flies back to him just like Thor's hammer does. Yes. Because <laughs> the crowbar is just more comedic than than a hammer. Yeah, well, you know, that's like I said, there's a lot of these out there. There's there's the good old axe as well, but you're right, a crowbar. What I'm waiting for is they're going to have to come up with, like, the enchanted fork or the enchanted spoon. Like, <laughs> yeah. Which, to be fair, like, an enchanted fork and spoon, would those not be Volstag's Probably, weapons? yes, I would say so. In fact, he probably has those already. Yeah. So, um, and the, the issue starts, of course, they, they are pummeling Thor as the issue carries on, and Hercules is powerless to stop them and in fact they are taunting hercules um they know they've beat him once and they're they're now beating thor to pulp and thor um i don't think thor is ever truly at risk um because as you read through the issue thor recognizes that hercules is suffering from a, a crisis of confidence yeah and thor he kind of sacrifices himself in a different way in this one he he chooses to to accept the humiliation of defeat so that Hercules can save him. So he pretends to be beaten, uh, which is a big gambit because yeah. Hercules might not have snapped out of it. Right. So I guess Thor had already seen the script. <laughs> so. I, I really like the, there's a part at the end where the Wreckers just, he keeps on beating and beating and beating and Thunderball tries to to hold him back and, and, uh, and stop him. Um, but then he goes at it again. And then eventually Thunderball keeps on stepping in is like i'm not the leader man but here's what i would do if i was the leader <laughs> and eventually wrecker realizes what he should do and they all retreat but it's like i like that uh thunderball is kind of he's always the more level-headed of of the wrecking crew and even though the wrecker like the wrecker holds the magic crowbar so he gets to be the leader but he's not a very good leader no no he's not but... so thunderball being a good leader knows how to but then again Perhaps that also stems from the fact that his his crowbar is enchanted with powers that were meant for Loki, so um, Loki's not exactly known for his uh, leadership. That is true. Yeah, but no, it, it, the issue ends well. Hercules' uh, confidence is restored, and um, they can go forward together again as as warriors and uh, brothers in arms. And yeah, and it ends with them wandering off. As far as these. These two collections... Oh, oh, sorry, just before that, oh, yeah. um, there's a Tales of Asgard. The wrapping up yeah. of this Lear... Well, not even the wrapping up of this Lear story. This ends with a to-be-continued. Yeah. It is the cliffhanger that will lead into Volume 18. Um, because Sif defies Odin and leaves to figure out what has happened. Why can Lear enter Asgard? Yeah. But Asgardians cannot. And Odin, for whatever reason, uh, punishes the Vizier for trying to investigate this. And there is suggestion that Odin is not Odin yep. um, at the end here, which um, I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, you'll just have to, to wait until they eventually give you uh, or volume 18. 18 yeah. So until then, you'll just have to, to sit on the edge of your seat and, and wait for it. <laughs> so. There's a couple of cool bonus features in the back. There's um, character designs by Ron Friends of all the, the new warriors, which they the call young warriors. the young warriors yeah, I like the time. The... Yep. Um, some official handbook of the Marvel Universe pictures uh, and uh, some some of the plots. If you wanted to know what the about the Marvel way of of writing a comic, 
which was completely different than the DC way because DC went full scripts, but Marvel went on basic plots. And you can see what a basic plot for 411 and 412 looks like here. And then Ron Friends would take that, plot it all out and uh, to, to his interpretation of what the plot would be. And then t Tom would then go and, and script, script it. it based on what he sees in the artwork. So there's often they'll they'll put in the breakdown pages so we can see what that process looks like but it's neat to see what the plots look like so that's kind of cool then there's a bunch of other pinups from around this time period that appeared in marvel fanfare and uh marvel yeah a couple and a couple of original art pages um by ron friends and joe sinnett so yeah um i thought that this volume and the last one war of the pantheons work really really well together it's a good two volume set Yes. And if you don't get any of the other um, DeFalco Thor volumes, that's okay because you still have a really good thing. It ties up most of the major plot lines. Um, we don't find out what happens in the custody battle. And, of course, like we said, the, the Odin story is a cliffhanger. But that's just really setting up the next story. Uh, for the most part, these two volumes are really nicely contained together and make a nice, a very good reading experience. No, it's true. Um, highly recommend them. Yeah, he just doesn't. This this team doesn't get as much recognition as Simonson, and and they, and they should. Like it's a it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It doesn't. I mean, it doesn't expand on the whole mythos of of Thor and like like Simonson's mm -hmm. does, but it's just good fun comic storytelling. I think that they are smaller stories is part of the reason they may not get the same. It's true. Recognition. Yeah. But it's not the the big grand epic. And I mean that's because it's earthbound stories. But the next volume is going to be a very big story, the Black Galaxy saga. Yes. So yeah. we'll have to wait to see. But we that won't that be one. our next episode for Thor. When you revisit uh us for Thor, we'll be discussing the very beginning of the mighty Asgardian. Yeah, going back to volume one, all the way back to Journey into Mystery, and that should be interesting, especially now that we've read the stuff by DeFalco, which pulls heavily from these early days. Yes. Uh, but then the next time you're going to be on the podcast, uh, we're going to go back to Doctor Strange. Correct. So we're going to take a look at Doctor Strange, the the volume called Afterlife, which is... It's a really interesting uh, hodgepodge of, of issues. It's sort of a, a transitional time for Strange. It's volume 13. And um, and yeah, this will be. An, I've never read any Doctor Strange from this era, so it'll be neat to to take a peek and see what's inside. So yeah, lots of opportunity if you're wanting to either read along with our podcast or read it ahead of time. Uh, just a bit of a heads up of, of where we're going with these two. Obviously, the next episode uh, will be Curtis. You'll have Curtis back again, uh, working with. Uh, I'll be with Tommy, and we'll be talking about Avengers uh, Judgment Day. That's Epic Collection, Volume 17. Which, which was referenced, this volume, or not referenced, but it also references events from the Thor volume we just read, because yeah. it, it picks up after Hercules' first uh, ill-fated battle with the Wrecking with the Crew. Room. Yep, so. that's right. It all connects, and I love these Epic Collections for that, that we can pull off a volume, and now that we've got a bunch of these episodes under our belt, we can reference the other episodes that we've been talking about. So yep. it's really cool. Well, thanks, Craig. Thanks for stopping by and uh, talking about Thor. Yeah, anytime. It's been a lot of fun, and we'll see you when we talk about Doctor Strange. Looking forward to it.